Buenos dias, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, for those of you unaware, I've been away for um, six Sundays on leave. I've been up in Spain, uh, walking the Camino de Santiago with my daughter Brittany, and also I uh, was joined later on the last 120 kilometres by Michaela, my wife, and my mum decided that she wanted to do that as well. And so good old mum, 76, rocked in there and just uh, monstered every hill we found and had a great time. So, so uh, me and the girls, we finally made it back just on Friday. Before I kick off on what is essentially the last of the series, looking at the life of Peter, uh, just a few indulgences about my time away. Um, uh, this is... This is actually the third time that I've did this walk, so um, it's familiar, but nothing gets easier, I can assure you. Um, Brittany and I started the walk in the French side of the Pyrenees Mountains, and we go over a route the very first day called the Napoleon Route, named after uh, General Napoleon, who took his army into France via this way. And uh, it's, a, it's a big day. In fact, it's the biggest day of the whole walk which if you wanted to organise it, you'd have it the other way around, wouldn't you? So that you're fitter and stronger and you'd get up there more easily. Um, but I was sort of in training before I left and when we had um, Father's Day, I remember Bernie handed me a couple of, he's off, Bernie handed me a couple of Kit Kat bars that were for the men, some of you men will remember that. Got a Kit Kat bar if you turned up here on Father's Day. I went to two services, so I got two. And so I stuck them in my backpack and I said, I'm going to eat those when I go over the Pyrenees because I'll need the energy. And so here we were halfway through the day and um, we came across a couple of young guys uh, from the Korean army. Now I knew they were from the Korean army because they had t-shirts on which said Korean army. <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't a language issue for me, but one of them didn't look very good. And the other guy came up to me and he goes, excuse me, sir, have you got any food? I said, yeah, sure. He said, um, we didn't bring any food because we thought there'd be shops here. <laughs> I was like, okay, bit of uh, lack of preparation there. So I pulled out the Kit Kat bars that we had, one each and a few other bits and pieces that we had. And I was sitting there thinking, this is so strange, isn't it, really? Here these two Korean guys are in the middle of the Pyrenees Mountains eating Kit Kat bars that were paid for by Bethlehem Baptist Church. And I'm like... That's cool, really cool. So, um, so um, James and Justin, that was their, their English names, um, we, we got to know them and saw them regularly as they, as they went on their walk. Uh, further along on the same day, it was an absolutely gorgeous day, not a cloud in the sky, not a breath of wind, just absolutely amazing. Uh, came across this guy probably about an hour and a half before the end of the walk. He was sitting under a tree, he wasn't looking very, very happy. Uh, sweat pouring out and he's a pretty heavy set guy and I said to him, you doing all right? And he goes, oh, he says, oh, I'm not feeling that flash, he said, but I've done this walk twice before. He said, by the time I get to Osobrero, which is the other big mountain at the other end of the walk, he says, I'll be flying. I said, yeah, I can understand that. I've done it before, I know what you mean. So we booked into this big hostel. It's the only hostel on the trail at this given point. Normally there are anywhere up to half a dozen to choose from. But this hostel housed 250 beds, and uh, Richard booked in a couple of beds just further along from us, had a shower, and dropped dead of a heart attack. And it was like, wow, that's a very sobering way to start your walk, you know? 
starving soldiers and a dead guy from England, you know? And so Brittany is looking at me going, what are you doing to me, Father? <laughs> I said, it's all okay. It's all okay. It, uh, uh, I don't think it's going to get worse than this. And thankfully, it didn't. Um, but um, we, we completed this journey and found ourselves um, engaging with lots of different people who were on the journey for lots of different reasons, different people of different ages and stages of life, lots of people from different countries. And uh, it was a really exciting time, not only just to meet all these people, but to be together and to be able to have that as a, as a family. So um, I'll share a little bit more towards the end of, uh, of something else that happened. But what I want to do now is really just want to get us to finish well this series looking at the person of Peter. So let me pray and we'll do that. Lord, I know that the country has forgotten about the rugby. But something more timeless, your word gives us the ability to track back through what other people's lives have been like as they've served you. And for us, as we look at Peter, we find ourselves once again probably seeing a mirror of our own experience. And so this morning as we round out the series about Peter's leadership, um, we just want to ask you to open up the eyes of our understanding that we might find, once again, you speaking to us about our own situations and help us understand what it is that we have ahead of us or what is already behind us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, of course, uh, we met Peter. He's this uh, young fisherman. And he was called by Jesus to follow him. And he would have had no idea what that means, would he? What would it have meant in the day to a young guy when he had, follow me, and he goes, yes. He had no idea that he was actually on the most significant journey at the foundation of the most significant movement in the world. And for us, we take a great deal of strength from the fact that Peter comes across to us as a pretty standard, stock standard guy, doesn't he? He's a pretty much a, you know, a Toyota Corona model, you know, or, you know, just a, a Ford Cortina model, whatever car your preference you like, Ford Falcon, if you like. He's a real standard model guy. And he has, with that, uh, great hopes, great ambitions, great aspirations, but great weaknesses as well. And so what we're going to do is we look at the last time that Peter is mentioned in Scripture in a significant way, we're going to realize that Peter is still learning. He's still a work in progress. And that means for each one of us, as we look at our own lives in the light of Peter's journey, we're going to find that we too don't have to live a life where we increasingly make excuses for our behaviors, but rather we live a life that says, I too still need to change, even as I get older. All right? And I think that's a real challenge for us. Because as we get older, we take a, we, the, the pride can start to get a little bit solidified. And uh, instead of being open and transparent and realizing, yeah, I too need to keep, continue to change. And so we're going to see this with Peter. So we're going to look at a piece of scripture in Galatians. And um, I would have hoped, if I was the sort of Hollywood author of Peter's life, that I would have Peter finishing on this fantastic high note when it comes to what the scriptures say about his life. But we don't find this high note. In fact, we, ra we find a rather uh, a, a, an off note, if you like, a bit of a melancholic note. Um, see, because Peter, 
Peter gets something wrong. And the Apostle Paul, who's also leading the charge, forming the church, calls him on it. He points out to him where he's got it wrong. And so here we have, right in front of us, in Scripture, for 2,000 years now, Peter's mistakes. All of them. But this one is really, really quite challenging to work through because it seems to be the opposite of what you'd expect from Peter. And that's the challenge of this. So let's go straight to Galatians. And uh, from Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to read where Paul calls Peter on his bad behavior. When Cephas, this is Paul's name for Peter, okay, Peter, Cephas, interchangeable. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Okay, I'm going to just interpret this as we go. The gospel was being shared now to all people, not just Jews, but also to Gentiles. When you're a Jew, there are only two people groups in the world. You, the Jews, and everyone else. And everyone else are Gentiles. All right? And so what's happening, and we've seen this earlier on, some of the passages that we look through when we look at Peter's life, we see that God has been breaking open these conversations with the Gentile groups, saying, look, this good news about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and being raised to new life, that isn't just something for the Jews. It is for everyone. Okay, and so we've seen how Peter's been used significantly in this. The Holy Spirit fell when Peter preached at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and fell amongst the Samaritans. And the Holy Spirit fell amongst Cornelius' household. Each time Peter was there, each time Peter was used, the keys of the kingdom, to unlock this powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which embraced people, everyone. And so Peter, of course, was now leading the charge on the fact that we didn't have to separate ourselves out from these people any longer. They were all God's people. We are all God's people. Whereas in the past, the Jews wouldn't mix with the Gentiles. They did their own thing, ate their own food, had their own days off, had clothes of certain fashion, and only stuck together. Now, because the gospel was for everybody, those walls have been broken down. But, and here's the big but, human nature has this way of moving back to a default setting, doesn't it? You know, default setting means it will go back to the way it always was because that's comfortable, that's where I like it, that's where it's been, that's familiar to me. And Peter gets intimidated when a group from James, as the scripture just says, arrives from Jerusalem and starts telling Peter that he's got it wrong. This group from James weren't a very big group, but they were quite forceful. And it's easy to intimidate other people. And this is how it goes. It's like, oh, so you really believe that Jesus died for your sin? Yep, I do. He died on the cross once for all to pay the price for everybody. Yes, I do. And so how does that affect your behavior? Well, we're free in Christ, aren't we? We're forgiven. Oh, yeah, but you have to act this way and you need to act this way. And you shouldn't hang out with those people. 
Because they're not holy like you. You're holy, aren't you? Yes, I'm holy, but they're not. Why would you hang out with them and let them corrupt you? Surely that's not a very good influence. Surely you should be separated away from them so that you can prove to them that your life is so much better. And so this is what intimidation looks like from a spiritual perspective. And this is essentially what the group from James has done to, to Peter to the point where other Jews were separating themselves out away from the Gentiles. And so instead of having these meals together and they could talk about the goodness of God, they started separating themselves away. And that left Paul very, very angry. So let's continue on reading how it is that this uh, impacts um, not only those, those Gentiles, but what Paul has to say about it. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now I know that you've got that down as a memory verse and you all know that piece of scripture really well. This is complicated stuff, isn't it? What Paul is saying here is this, is that when Christ died for you, the law was made complete. Okay, you don't have to go and separate yourself out by fulfilling a whole lot of what are essentially now Jewish cultural norms. Food, clothes, patterns of worship, styles of worship. Uh, and, and, and what happened is it said that part of the, making a relationship with God was a grace given to you, but it's now over. It's closed. It's complete. Christ has died for us, and we're all one in Christ. So you can eat with anybody you like. You can eat any food you like. The idea is to be a Christian, be a follower of Jesus in the world that you live, not separating yourself out. And so for Paul, when he sees Peter operating in a way that is different to that, he gets angry. He says, you used to eat with the Gentiles. By eating with the Gentiles, you were sharing Jesus' life with them. But now you've removed yourself from eating with them. In doing so, you've judged them and you've said to them without even saying anything that you think you're superior to them. And that is not going to do the gospel any good at all. Okay? So Paul put it like this. He says, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I've destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. What Paul is saying here is that um, now that we are free from the law, we can hang out with people who never ever used to keep the law. Does that make us lawbreakers? No. Does that mean we promote sin? No, because things have changed. Things have shifted. Okay, and so this is what Paul is trying to get across. And, and for us, this looks like a, 
oh gosh, Paul, you seem to be getting really uppity about something that's not that important. Well, the simple truth is it is really, really important. And we've already seen in Scripture how important it was. And I'm just going to push through this because otherwise we'll get caught up here. So what happened is um, all the church leaders got together, and we saw this a couple of weeks ago. All the church leaders in the early church got together, and they said, what are we going to do? It seems that God loves everyone. Okay? And for the Jews, that created a bit of a problem because they thought they were the only ones loved by God. So here is when they decide at this council meeting what they're going to do with all the Gentiles, all these different people who used to be the enemy of God. All right? It says here, when they sent the following letter to the apostles and elders, your brothers, they said, sorry, with them they sent the following letter to the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so they had this meeting and they said, we want everybody to know that God loves Jesus. And Jesus is his son, and his son has died for us all. So we're going to provide for you the rules by which you will become a Christian. Okay? Now, remembering that for the Jews, the rules were, and the story was, contained in all of the Old Testament. Okay, so all of this was part of what it meant to be a Jew, all right? Now, as we've already seen a couple of weeks ago, let me introduce it to you. Here is the rule book for Christian faith. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Okay, here goes. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Adios. Haerera. Nara. What we've got here is a summary of what behaviours are required in the Christian faith. Love Jesus, share his story, of course, and then abstain from these foods, abstain from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. There's a little addendum later on which says, remember the poor also. Okay? Just in case you're lacking something to do. Remember the poor. So, so Christian life is now pitched in a completely different way to what it was before. And it's always about finding a balance. And this is what Paul is trying to get Peter to see. Because the balance is always between unity and holiness. Unity and holiness. See, I can be really, really holy as long as I separate myself out from other people. 
I can do what the early church fathers did, live in a cave with iron bars, had people poke food at me, and I'd eat that, and I'd read scriptures, and I'd pray. Or like Simon Stylites, I live up a pole. For 30 years, Simon Stylites lived up a pole. Because why? He wanted to be holy, separated out from the world. Didn't work for him because the world said, there's Simon Stylites, he's really holy, let's go visit him. And so, <laughs> it, it didn't really work. But holiness is this way in which we create more and more often rules. And once we get those rules so tight and tidy, we think we're better than everybody else. And we go and set up Gloria Vale. Gloria Vale is a group of Christian people who are working hard at holiness. Okay? And so by virtue of wanting to be holy, they've separated themselves out and created a them and an us. However, the Apostle Paul and Jesus also wanted us to have unity, wanted us to be together. And so another theology or way of viewing the world is this. God loves us all. He loves us all so much that when Christ died for us, he made us all Christians, even to the point that we don't even know it. But because the cross of Christ was so complete and sin is so completely paid for, we're all Christians, we're all in, like it or not, you might hate Jesus, but you're going to spend eternity with him. Okay? That is the complete opposite. Okay? That's unity gone mad. Okay? But Paul said we can't have one and not the other. Let me explain that. Paul said with these scriptures, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay? That sounds easy enough. But then it gets personal. In his letter to uh, the Philippians, he says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here were two women who were having a fight. They were literally having a ding-dong in public and Paul wrote to them and said, sort it out. Okay? So there's, there's unity. It's being asked for. Unity is easy, isn't it? Just do it my way. It's not a problem. You do that with the children. We would have a lovely, peaceful household if you would just do as you are told. Okay? I read a story the other day of a, of a household that was leaving the neighborhood. And the, and the little six-year-old was in the back of the car. And um, she was saying, Dad, I don't want to leave. How come we're leaving? Well, we're leaving town and we're going to another town. Why, Dad? Why are we leaving? Well, we have to do it because you keep leaving your clothes on the floor. It was a bad joke. But, <laughs> but if only people did it my way, right? What about holiness? That's the other side of the coin, isn't it? As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, do this more and more, for you know what instruction we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And here's the instruction. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. 
not in passionate lust, just like the pagans do, who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So here we have holiness being spoken of, and we have unity being spoken of, and we have all these challenges because we struggle to see how it is that these two things can go together. But this is the conversation about Christian faith that goes on and on and on. I've had people come to me over the years and say, Craig, we've just got to be more open to everybody. We've got to be, you know, the world has changed. We've got to allow, you know, the things that God wants. Well, maybe they've been a little bit tight and a little bit hard. We've got to, you know, lower the bar a little bit. And then other folks come to me and say, man, we, if, we just, if we were just holier, Craig, if we were just holier, we'd be more separated, more set apart. You know, we'd have, we'd have more power of God, God in our lives and, and people would see the evidence of that. And so we have denominations as a result of this. And the conversation goes on and goes on and goes on. I, right at the moment, we're going to be discussing in the next uh, parliamentary election um, about euthanasia. It's going to the vote. Well, I know Christians who put up a very good argument, doctors who say that euthanasia should be allowed. Others who say, no, it shouldn't be. Our, of course, our time is in God's hands. So we want unity, but we don't have agreement. Um, over the last decade, we've worked through same-sex marriage. You know, folks come to me and say, come on, Craig, things have changed. The church has got to move on. Church has got to keep up with the times. You know, and then others say, well, no, this, um, you know, same-sex marriage is not the way God designed it. Adam and Eve, you know, that was the way it was. That's the way it should be. And so we have this tension and this debate that continues to go on and on. And so people get into these different camps. They set up camp and they hurl rocks at one another. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, laws change and, and Christians have a different view of different things about, you know, about alcohol, um, drugs, you know, how are we going to get on youth group when marijuana becomes legalized? What are we going to do on church camps then? You know, it's bad enough now having kids smoking cigarettes and vaping. You know, but if it's not illegal to, what do we do with that? You know, see all of these challenges and all of these tensions. But I've got a great answer. Simple. We set up like the preppers do. You've seen programs about the preppers? Eh? You build yourself a big compound, big high wire with rolled barbed wire around the top. You get a 50 cal automatic machine gun on each corner. You build yourself a big basement, fill it up with all sorts of food so that you can last at least 40 or 50 years. And holiness, man, if anybody wants to take us on, we'll introduce them to Jesus. <laughs> Straight away. You can meet God right here. You know, at least within 400 metre range, we'll make sure that you meet Jesus. And so we, and, and this sounds funny, but this is what our Christian life is all about. And so let's get back to what 
Peter was in trouble for. Peter was caught up in this conversation where he was being intimidated by those who thought they knew what was right. Peter, if you really love God, you will know that the Old Testament law is not discarded. Yes, Jesus died for our sins, but we should really be separating ourselves out as people who are different. And in this case, the group from James were really keen on circumcision as a sign of that. So they wanted the, the Gentiles to mean to be circumcised, you know? And, uh, and, and as well as that, there would have been dietary laws and everything that starts to go with it. Paul is saying, listen, that, that day is gone. We are one in Christ. There's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. That was the summary that Paul brought. But poor old Peter, he, he sort of got to the end of himself. And this is, this is the thing that I want to raise with us, is that we all have a default setting. And sometimes when we're under pressure and there are people who are putting pressure on us to behave in certain ways, we capitulate. We capitulate and we collapse and we go, yeah, you're right, I'll just hang out with you guys because you guys know best and I don't. Or we capitulate and we go, I'm just sick of the fight. I don't think God really likes us to be in some sort of discussion or argument. I'm just going to get into this sort of, God loves everybody and they can all sort it out later, you know, and hold on to very little value. And so this is the tension that we are all put into every day of our lives. And, um, and the problem with this is that every situation is different. People will come to me and they say, Craig, I've got some friends who are getting divorced. What do you think about that? What should I say to them? And I'll say, I don't know what to say to them because I haven't met them. You see, circumstances and choices are circumstantial. You know? If I find that uh, there's abuse going on in that relationship, I'll just say, do you want a hand? I'll come around and help them pack. You know, I don't care how bad your marriage is. <laughs> uh, sorry, I don't care what you think about marriage and holding together. If someone's getting physically abused, I'll, I'll help you move today. You know? But if it's just like, well, I think that the dishes need to dry on their own, and he's saying, no, no, mum always wiped them and put them away before we went to work, and you're arguing over that, and we need to get a divorce over that, I'll say, well, you know, Let's, uh, let's have a little chat about that, okay? So every situation is different. And that's what makes life difficult. And that's why Christianity needs to be one ongoing conversation respecting the other person's perspectives. And this is where the church goes wrong because it gets to a point where we just go, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. That's it. I'm not going to church anymore. I've got three neighbours who live up the road and we're just going to meet together and pray once a week. And that'll be church for me because everything else is too hard. Or others go, oh, yeah, well, you know, that lot over there, they just think they're too good for everybody else. Um, but, you know, God, he died on the cross so that we could all sin anyway. Jesus died on the cross so we can all sin anyway. So let's just, you know, forget about the holiness thing. Let's just, let's just, 
you know, praise God and have a good time. You've all met people like this, haven't you? And you've all had these conversations in your head, haven't you? Because they're very human conversations and they're very real conversations. And poor old Peter, maybe he just got to the point where he was at the end of himself and he got intimidated by this group from James who are righteous and holy and we know best. And he's just like, oh, forget it. It's just not worth it. I just need a break. And Paul walks in and says, hey, bro, do you realize that your example is actually leading everybody astray? It's tough because choices are complicated. All of your choices are complicated. Everything that you make a decision about has complications and implications and other people have opinions about them. You have your own opinions about them. You're not worried about whether other people are arguing about it. You're arguing with yourself over it. Because you have your conversations going, oh, I think I'm right. No, I'm not. I think I'm wrong. Oh, no, I'm not. I think I'm right. I think I'm wrong. All within half an hour. Yeah? Welcome to the Christian life. It's not easy. Because we live in a broken world and we're broken people. But the most important thing is that we press into God, realizing that there are times when we just say, God, I just got to hold on to both sides of this because I don't know where it all begins and I don't know where it all ends right now. Maybe this little bit of video will help you understand what I'm describing here. It's a little bit of an indulgence, but uh, it was just one of those unique things that happened when I was on this walk. We were, um, Brittany and I were walking down this road. We'd had eight days of flat road. It's called the Meseta. It's incredibly boring, but it's good for you because you've got no distractions. And we were about three kilometers out from a little town and we're about four or five kilometers from the next town. And we're walking beside this piece of road and we saw this guy up ahead of us and he had a, a walking pole, which is not unusual. A lot of people have a walking pole. And uh, he was walking on the edge of the road and we walked up behind him and we said, Buenos dias, senor. Hola, buen camino. Hi, have a great journey. You know, they always wish the pilgrims well. And as we walked up alongside him, we saw something unique about him. So with his stick, he could discern where to put the next footstep because he just held that stick on the edge of the tar seal. Too far to the left, he was going to fall, obviously, off the road. Too far to the right, he'd probably get taken out by a car. And I think that's a great illustration of what it is about the Christian life that we contend with. If we go too far to the left, we're going to end up in the ditch. If we go too far to the right, we get smacked over somehow. Our Christian life, just like is being talked about today, is about recognizing that there are tensions that we have to hold on to and have to live with. There's no one right perfect answer every time. Now, we go for that middle line because we're wanting to work out what truth is. You know, I'm not 
I'm not saying everything's up for grabs here. But um, Derek Prince, that great um, Bible expositor from mainly last century, said that um, maturity is found when you have the ability to hold on to what you don't know and hold on to what you do know and exist in the middle there without oscillating to one or to the other. In other words, live with the tension of realizing that you won't know everything there is to know. But also hold on to what you do know. Don't let that go. And that's what I think Paul was having a go at Peter about. He's saying, listen, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you've just been intimidated more than you can handle. But Peter, just hold on to what you do know. And what you do know is that to mix with the Gentiles is an okay thing to do. Because by eating with them, you get to share the love of Christ. So even though you can't work it all out, hold on to what you do know. So maybe the best summary I can make about this uh, life of Peter that we've looked at over the last 16 weeks is this. That Peter was still a work in progress. Aren't we all? Well, I'm a work in progress. Are you? Yeah? Yeah? There's two hands up at the back there. Yeah. So I think it's great that we finish in this place. I celebrate everything that we've learned about Peter. But we also learn that Peter was still learning as he goes. And I don't care what age you are. The thing about the gospel and the thing about human nature and the thing about the changing world around us is that these dynamics are always going to challenge us and confront us in some way so that our faith is forever being overworked and worked over at the same time. And we too are like that pilgrim going down the road going, I know what I know. I don't, I don't like the loose gravel. I know what I know. I can see the loose gravel. And God will save us from ourselves. Let's stand for prayer. God, we thank you for Scripture, which gives us the ability to be able to see not only old saints like Peter, but through their lives, we see ourselves. We've all been intimidated to the point where we go, oh gosh, I don't know what I believe anymore. Do I hang out with that belief or hang out with that group? Do I do this? Have I said the right thing? Have I said the wrong thing? Did I do too much of that? Not enough of this? Have I explained that well or have I over-explained it? Did I do good, God, or was I Wally? Man, and I think in my life, Lord, I've just covered off about half a day's worth of conversation. So God, we thank you for Scripture which highlights Peter's failings as much as his strengths. Because we see ourselves right there. And yet we know that your grace is sufficient to forgive and to help us to learn and to grow and move on from there. So for all of us, Lord, we need a good dose of this grace and we need a good dose of the humility that allows grace to, to work. Humility that says, I haven't yet made it all. I haven't yet done it all. I haven't yet learnt it all. Grace that says things can be different to the past. Grace that says, I'm still a work in progress.
And so for all of us, Lord, we, we want to lean into that grace. Otherwise, we just become those hard-nosed people who think they know everything. But we want to hold on to what we do know and we want to continue to learn what it is you're teaching us. So let us be those people. So we ask it for Jesus' sake and for the sake of his kingdom so that more and more people will come to know that Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.